Well, good morning. I did this yesterday, but I went 35 minutes long and was on the wrong mic, so. so it was pretty noisy. And what's weird is I started earlier this morning, but it's noisier this morning than it was yesterday. Yesterday was a holiday, true enough. A Victoria Day here in Canada. It's funny. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, just wanted to share uh, some, I guess you could call it synergy, uh, synchronicity, limerence, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I just finished my most recent class. Uh, it's uh, the, well, it's the course, technically. Uh, the Quintessence of Trika Shaivism. Uh, it's about uh, Virupaksha. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would, uh, uh, his, uh, his writing about, um, this practice. So long story short, last weekend was the final class, and, uh, then this week was the final question and answer. It was interesting because almost all of the questions, I mean, this has been weird for me because it's just been a rough, uh, couple months. So I haven't been able to really participate in the class besides watching and, you know, taking my notes. Um, but not like there's a forum. Um, and then he wanted questions and answers. And in the past, in these courses, um, I've uh, taken part, but I, I wasn't able to. But this is the first of the limerence, or synergy, or kismet, whatever you want to call it. Um, all of my questions have been answered in, uh, in other people's questions and answers. I mean, one of them by example, and uh, pardon my memory, but I'm just, uh, I guess I could probably wait and go home and go through my notes, but one of the questions was, okay, so I understand Shaivism now, so why hasn't it changed my life? And so, of course, the professor uh, explained that it's one thing to understand the truth of the nature of self, the nature of reality, which is what Shaivism is trying to get to. Uh, it's not going to change your, what would you call it, the, the string of karma, your karmic uh, destiny or whatever you want to call it, right? If you hate your job and your family's horrible uh, to each other, understanding the true nature of reality being maya or partially maya, however you want to see it, changing your relationship uh, to reality isn't going to change, you know, the course of events, but because the, the, the questioner asked about why hasn't my life changed, it shows that he doesn't understand the message because uh, Acharya Ji, the, the professor, was very nice in his rebuke, but he essentially said, well, you don't get it if it hasn't changed your life. It's not going to change the events of your life. What it changes is your relationship to events. I've talked about this before. Trauma is not the event, but it's it's the experience that you carry forward, the attachment to, the uh, what I call trauma-informed adaptations that we carry forward that uh, hinder our life, which was another question about forgetfulness. And, and he remind, reminds uh, the class that forgetfulness is just as much a part of memory uh, because without forgetfulness, we'd be attached to absolutely everything we ever experience. Right? Traumatized, in a sense. 
And uh, there's a question about uh, why is it so much mindfulness practice has no, what I call sufficiency, it doesn't actually help people, it doesn't seem to be beneficial, it just seems to be a commodity, and so he completely said it's absolutely. The question was mainly, it seemed like someone read McMindfulness. It's, it's worth reading, um, but it gets into this idea of being mindful of what a horrible person you are isn't going to make you a better person without the action, right? This is why the Bhagavad Gita talks about karma. Karma as being the ultimate yoga. So he says uh, the problem is it's been commodified. So of course, uh, he's looking to try to make this better. He's looking to try to sh uh, share the teachings of Trika Shaivism because it's essentially the same thing, like I've always said, trauma. Trauma training, uh, trauma prevention, trauma treatment, trauma, uh, what would you call it, well, trauma healing, trauma treatment, trauma contextualization. Uh, so there is other questions, but long story short, my question would have been about Vimarsha, this reflexivity, this moment that you're able to see uh, the, the true nature of self and reality, right? Uh, he talked about, this was in one of his answers to one of his questions, talks about we have two relationships to reality that cause us trouble. In fact, he's mentioned Martin Buber before, and, and this is the same idea that Martin Buber explains. It's from the, the Isha Upanishad, uh, the, the self in the other, the other in the self. He talks about are two main issues with reality, with self, with our existence. He says one is the subject-object relationship. I've talked about this, this is where Vimarsha comes in, but it, it's also our problem uh, with our relationship to reality. Uh, we externalize the self. Marsh McLuhan talked about this, so it's even got a Canadian component. Uh, you externalize the self uh, to embody an object, to understand, to recognize, to cognize what it is. But this Vimarsha, this reflexivity, uh, is when that self-object relationship returns, all of it melts away and you have at that moment an opportunity. You have an opportunity to realize the true nature of self and reflexivity, uh, contextualize uh, the true nature of self and, and reality. I mean, uh, there was a great, great question, but he didn't go into it in great detail. He, he used the example of dreams, and, and I love this professor, uh, but he seems to be one of the few who undersell the fact that he's not going to apologize for using terms and expecting you to, to be a, a, a student and a thinking one at that. So you mentioned about our relationship to dreams, how we, uh, how we see uh, the truth of dreams, right? We, we don't see them as real as our waking, but the example I've always given is uh, how often have you had a, a, uh, a waking dream or how often have you had, say, a falling dream or a dream on a roller coaster, and, and it can be as um, substantial an experience as, as real life. I mean, I argue uh, I've had more uh, intense experiences in my dreams 
uh, falling or roller coasters than any roller coaster. Uh, very few of them have have truly uh, transcended that experience. But my question is: is why is it that we see dreams as more tangible than, say, memories or imagination? This is why a big part of, of Trika practice is visualization. And I think in no small part it, it, it coincides with Kasina practice, that practice I've talked about in Buddhism where uh, you stare at a candle and then uh, close your eyes and try to see how closed-eyes visuals don't differ as much as the reality. Try to see, try to see uh, through. Right, so this was our last class. So this is the teaching of Vaimarsha, this idea that we have an opportunity essentially uh, constantly. He even talked about how citta is this consciousness that's born uh, from every sense experience, from every volition, vidana, uh, that we attach to from, from moment to moment. So it's the same as this reflexivity, the Vaimarsha. We have an opportunity to uh, see the true nature of self and reality, uh, but we tend to not uh, pay attention. Right? Uh, I, again, I, I liken it to the original meaning uh, of stupid uh, in Latin, that you're either too stubborn to see the truth or you're too uh, stunned. Right? right? Are you either in a daze or are you... Uh, <laughs> willingly uh, ignorant. Right, so this was the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, he had his final class talking about essentially the heart of Trika Shaivism. It's a form of Tantra, not that different from Buddhism, just uh, they believe it's important um, that uh, we understand that your relationship with God should be something more than something you don't discuss. Uh, I mean, it is different from Buddhism, but it isn't in the sense that they do say that there there should be some sort of guiding principle to the universe that you must understand and have a relationship with, but it doesn't have to be this concept of a god. So it can be atheist as much as we see Buddhism, but at the same time it can be as much of a I guess, say an atomized sort of god uh, of Spinoza. Um, of, of Whitman, of Emerson, a god that is the power that makes flowers grow. It doesn't have to be one that, uh, that impinges on our daily lives. But so, the last little bit, and I'll, I'll wrap it up, I apologize. I'm enjoying the, the little... Uh, respite here. So uh, I've mentioned this before, this teacher that I'm uh, learning from is one of the foremost experts uh, on Sanskrit, on Vedanta, on uh, Shaivism, on uh, some of this Tantric Buddhism, and he's even got some background in existentialism. Um, but his close competition for, for uh, expertise in this area is a gentleman uh, who runs the New York Vedanta Society. Uh, this is non-dual Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, Advaita, Advaita Vedanta, I don't know. His name is uh, Swamiji uh, Sarva Priyananda. 
and uh, he's come back from a world tour. He was all over the place uh, giving talks and opening things, I think. He's a well-known scholar. Why? Because he's an expert in Vedanta, right? Sanskrit, and, and uh, I have no idea how many Indian languages, plus his English is, is phenomenal. It's better than mine. <clears throat> but not only is he essentially, uh, you know, a PhD in in, uh, in Vedanta, their head guru. He also went to Harvard, so he's got a degree in Tibetan Buddhism, essentially, as I said before, Vajrayana Tantra, Tantric Buddhism. And two weeks ago, he did an episode on what I've talked about before, the thing that I love about Tibetan Buddhism, that this same moment of clarity that we can realize, uh, you know, to see through to our true nature of existence and self is called the clear light uh, of the void or clear light inside of the void, right? This opportunity that we have to see through. And that's what he talked about. He talked about shunya, shunyata, but essentially this emptiness, this void that, that is potential. And right? I've talked about Jung in his uh, Modern Man in Search of a Soul, where he talks about modern man at the edge of a, a chasm, uh, the edge of a void, right? This potential that is shunya, shunyata, um, emptiness, uh, the void. Uh, and then just this past Sunday, which we watched after uh, my class, he, uh, he did a talk on Purna, which is perfection in Vedanta. So in my uh, particular sect, we'd call that, that's the eighth... Uh, uh, consciousness being uh, emptying of the storehouse, the alaya vijnana, right? So you're emptying uh, these these attachments to self to achieve this purnam, this clear light void uh, in Sanskrit, sati sampajana. Um, if you can uh, remain in that state, you would essentially be a perfected consciousness. Purnam. Uh, but in Yogacara, it's called Amala Vijnana, Amala being perfect and Vijnana being consciousness. So two of my main teachers uh, speaking on the exact same teachings, speaking on the synergy of these, of these uh, lessons, these teachings. Um, and the reason why I love it is, is I've been looking at The context of Swami Vivekananda, I've told you about this uh, fairly obscure yoga practitioner from Calcutta who came to America in 1893 for the World Congress on Religions, and he was shocked, shocked I tell you, by how insular, how, uh, pardon my language, but uh, ignorant or stupid the West was. Came from Calcutta, which I've even give talks on these uh, with... And I've had some people make jokes in the chat about, um, you know, uh, they assume Calcutta, you know, being backwards. But the opposite was true. In Calcutta, uh, Swami, uh, Swami G uh, could hear a dozen languages being spoken, right? Or, or could witness a, a dozen faiths being practiced with devotion and confidence and commitment, right? Shraddha. He was surprised by how insular the West was, right? Knowing very little even about their own religion, in a sense. 
But the quote that's always rested with me, never mind the fact that um, I find it uh, horrible that uh, my choice was either I could get a PhD in comparative religions, right, or I could just get a PhD in, say, uh, like I told you, say Tibetan Buddhism or Theravada Buddhism or existentialism. I mean, I probably would have done something on uh, Nietzsche's Eternal Return and the Chattiscotti or, or Camus, Camus' Absurdity, Schopenhauer, um, you know, the Upanishads' influence on them all and, and how, I mean, my theory is, right, the Chattiscotti and the Tetralemma definitely connected, uh, history is now showing this, I was right about this, but what I mean is uh, Nietzsche and Schopenhauer were writing based on what was translated, the Upanishads, and I think there may be Rig Veda, there may be, may have been quite a bit more than that translated, but I don't think any of the Tantric texts had been translated, and people don't understand this, they think Tantra as being like the sex practices, but Tantra was actually a solution to our somatic needs, right, the Kama Sutra is not about sex. Well, that, you know, arguably. But I mean, kama, kama chando, our attachments, our relationship to uh, to the everyday world is is what uh, tantric Buddhism is is trying to solve. Arguably, the same issues that uh, same issues that uh, uh, Nietzsche was writing about in his Thus Spake Zarathustra that that uh, Buddhism was near perfect, Schopenhauer, Jung, uh, near perfect, save for these little issues. It's funny because uh, I was introduced to this really early by uh, you know, Blavatsky and Theosophy, right? The, the tantric uh, practices, again, they were interested because of, right, they're interested in the occult and how we've twisted that, right? Remember, occult, uh, really just means something that's beyond perception. Maybe something beyond our understanding. I mean, that is the Tetralemma, the Tetiscoti, or the Ketiscoti, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Because there's there's your, your limerence, your synergy, because, uh, because uh, that was even mentioned by Swamiji uh, in New York. Uh, my Tetiscoti, my Ketiscoti. Right? But, but forgot to mention the importance of this doubt. Right? But my other chart didn't forget. Right? He reminded us that this doubt, this doubt is essential to faith. And I recommend Schopenhauer on this. Right? Everyone talks about will. But when you read Schopenhauer on religion, you see this exact lesson. He understood this, right? That, sure, some people need, you know, stories, mythos, stories we tell ourselves that we hold to be true, that we use to guide ourselves. But at the same time, he admits that this really needs to be as close to true as anything we hold to be true. Right? This metaphysical, what would you call it? 
I call it the transpersonal. I mean, it, it, it goes right back to Martin Buber, I and thou. That's all it was teaching, right? This relationship to, to yourself, the Greeks know thyself. I mean, it's weird. I've been going through some of the worst stuff lately, but because of these insights, as Acharya said, he gets asked often about his experiences and, you know, try to share them tangibly and he said like that's not really something you can do I've talked about this how Emerson said everyone's experience is essentially equal it's your ability to share that uh, to somebody in a tangible way like they, they can feel it right but the, the big thing that Acharya did point out is is how profound even the tiniest of these experiences are because again the final thought of four weeks of teaching from two of the foremost experts I mean I don't know like I said if if they've run into the troubles that I did where I mean I can get a doctor of divinity but it's going to be almost exclusively New Testament heavily it's really quite weird I told you about that one uh, gentleman who got a doctor of divinity and then he he teaches Tibetan Buddhism it's it's really quite cringe because he is exactly what uh, some of these people are complaining about about uh, you know um, trying to decolonize Buddhism right this this doctor of divinity who specialized in uh, the New Testament um, pushing his Buddhism and then he literally mentioned Christ in this one this one section which you know, I have no problem discussing Christ if it has to do with, say, the Bodhisattva, uh, something like that, right? Bodhicitta, right? Uh, like Christos. But not the way he dropped it. It was full-on cringe, almost like he's propagandizing, right? Don't misunderstand. When I talk about all religions being true, it's what my Acharya told me, right? It's, it's what Hemingway said, right? Uh, all these things are true if they're practiced, uh, you know, honestly. And, you know, I can't remember the exact quote of Hemingway, but the way he explains about prose should be real, and, you know, honest. And that's, that's religion, that's faith. It's what you hold to be true. Right? Uh, I've talked about this before, but arguably, if uh, the job of, of a philosopher is to try to modernize this stuff, which is what uh, my professor is asking us, uh, members of Vimarsha, to, to start thinking about how we can modernize these teachings without losing the sufficiency, losing um, not just the, the sacredness, but the sacredness is what uh, Jung said was the synchronicity. Right? It's, it's uh, Nietzsche's Schatzen. It's uh, what you treasure. But what you treasure must be evaluated by you, not by others. You can't be told what is valuable to you. Because it's all perspectival. 
but it's also very dependent on your experience because as the old saying goes what was it Seneca don't quote me on who said it but no man crosses the same river twice because the water flows and uh, you're not the same person you were the last step you took and as I've said before it always shocked me first of all that the uh, the temple the museum complex that I was giving tours in they kind of screwed up the the marks of existence there was a poster but honestly you want to call that a little limerence or or synchronicity because that gave me the opportunity to explain what it really was they left out one of the one of the uh, um, aspects and arguably you may think it was on purpose but so impermanence Right? Suffering. But <clears throat> they forgot the not-self, the, the, uh, the experience of, of not-self. Right? That's sati sampajanya. Sati to remember. Remember these marks of existence. That everything is impermanent. That this attachment to a belief in self and a belief in permanence. And even as a yogacharan. I can tell you this belief in the nature of reality, the nature of self, uh, the relationship between uh, ourselves and objects, all of this, all of this is something that's meant to be questioned. The particular sect of, of, of Tantric Buddhism that I follow is essentially a modern um, implementation of uh, the Socratic method. But you question everything. You question your perception, you question even the very nature of reality. But how does that even apply, right? Modernize. Well, my example is it is trauma and anxiety. I've told you this before. I was talking to, uh, to someone I really wanted to help. It's a Buddhist book. I think uh, it was really great because, again, I think uh, all of these religions are true if practiced with confidence, devotion, and commitment, right? So you can follow his uh, particular, seems to be like a Theravadan um, noting sort of practice and it can work just as well and I was looking to help but then when we started discussing uh, it seemed that more the more so than a translation into say French um, his book needed some condensing because uh, like I didn't read his book because um, it's mostly in digital format because he's not looking to profit off of it so uh, the public publications um, are few and far between physical copies so I was lucky enough to get access to uh, an audiobook uh, I was able to listen to most of the sections of the audiobook uh, in the second edition the revised edition uh, some of it sadly I had to sorry about that yeah sadly some of it I had to actually read uh, on the computer and that wasn't fun uh, a few years ago I was certainly awful at that um, but the problem was, is uh, we had a, a couple of get-together little meetings, but this uh, great Buddhist practitioner seemed to get uh, all of our meeting notes wrong. And, and, uh, but see, what's weird is he got almost everything wrong. The day we were supposed to meet, the time, 
then after uh, the stuff that we were supposed to talk about in the next meeting, um, he forgot, like he came back and he said, oh yeah, so translate to French. And I'm like, but dude, he said he wanted me to try to condense this section that he said everyone else was having trouble condensing. So, you know, that just uh, went a little sideways there. I mean, I didn't really call him on that. He felt very sorry about that. Um, and I understood, but this is that thing that I've talked about. That, and the last thing, I guess, about the Trika Shaivist course is uh, the professor even mentioned himself that he said he loves to assign memorizing things like the Yoga Sutras of Pantanjali to students that have no idea what, what it means. Right? Um, I've told you about this. The Japanese will chant the Heart Sutra uh, in such a way that it, it's not decipherable. It's not actual language. It's not Japanese. And the Chinese are the same. Uh, even if you could, because some of it's understandable. Um, the thing is, is most of them that learn it don't learn it for that reason. Uh, to understand. They actually learn it to be repeated as just the sound. Um, and then there was just a, a movie that's uh, coming out based on uh, on the church's uh, uh, exorcist. And uh, the same thing with the Latin rites. Um, they feel that you don't have to know what it says for it to be um, beneficial, for it to be functional. Right? So... This uh, doctor that I was trying to help, um, after uh, what three meetings, him having gotten everything wrong about uh, right the times, the dates, the the, uh, the details. So we were just chatting instead of wasting time talking, right? And uh, I mentioned that uh, you know my. Uh, well, I may mention a couple of jokes I guess he didn't get. Um, I mentioned a joke about, uh, you know, wizards. And uh, just a joke that my, my government name means wizard uh, in my particular language. Uh, but it also sounds like uh, the word for wizard in another language. So I was just making that as kind of a joke because he's into magic. I thought he'd find that funny. I don't think he found it funny. Because I had mentioned something that I think he misunderstood. He said he believed in magic. And I said, no, I don't know if you're supposed to do that. And what I was getting at, and we didn't talk about, is, is that Carl Jung's active imagination, as an example, did look into uh, the occult, into magic and all this idea. But the idea is to leave reason aside to explore the sense of nonsense. But... If you literally forego reason altogether and one rock walk around believing in magic, then that's not the lesson, right? Like if you no longer can tell the difference between your fantasy and your reality, wow, yeah, that's not how it works. So, I mean, what actually ended, not ended, but the last time we've talked, is he completely misunderstood what I was talking about. And I mentioned that it seems that my my, uh, what do you call it, entire raison d'etre now happens to be uh, healing trauma, solving trauma. But he's like, oh yeah, good for you. And we've never spoken again. Because if he had asked, oh, what do you mean? I would have said, uh, you find it. 
you know, funny. And everyone uh, gravitating to Buddhism. Buddhism itself seems to be a, uh, both a treatment and a prevention for trauma. Life is inherently suffering. Trauma is guaranteed. It's our relationship to uh, our expectations. This is Carl Frisch's free energy or Buddhism or Jainism or Vedanta or Christianity. Not to burst your bubble here, but this is the same lesson. I mean, you can look at what is it, Matthew? Sermon of the Mount, the Beatitude. Right, you can look at Job, right, where it resonates the same thing. Life is inherently suffering. So relationship to, uh, to it. So we need to change. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, hell is other. But only because, as I said, such a perfect example. Such failed at this. He treated others as men instead of an us. A we and us. That's our pronoun. Right? We do need to know ourselves, we need to um, individuate, as young ladies would call it, but we can only do that in, in context of the other, in the community, in the ecclesia, in the original, the Greek meaning of the word that's often translated as church. Right? So, all literate, all Call it the eternal experience, call it faith, uh, call it fighting, call it the Nimana. I mean, there's a million words, but depending on how you contextualize them, essentially all get to the I mean, in like Nirvana, Nirvana, Moksha. Samadhi. Those are just one success. I mean, um, uh, in English, the Christian equivalent would be great, or um, koinonia, or gnosis. I can give you a dozen in Japanese too, but. We'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it to the 35 minutes. How's that? So on that, um, hope you have a fabulous day, and I certainly hope, uh, well, I certainly hope this is of an aid to, uh, to at least one. Even the professor said that. He's going to continue to teach in the hopes that even if it guides one. Shanti for peace.